Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body, and lifestyle. In today's episode, I am with Christina Mandlachiani, a serial entrepreneur, co founder of Mind Valley, international speaker, and artist. In this conversation, Christina shares the difference between learning and transformation, and how the most profound and lasting changes that we make are not 180 degree turns, but simple one to two degree changes that over time change our trajectory and make a big impact on our lives. We talk about the importance of accepting yourself and how your success is proportionate to your comfort zone. Christina also shares how to lead a conscious life, a skill that she has been developing in increasing depth over the last 10 years. Life is constantly giving us valuable experiences and lessons if we are able to look for them. I think you will really enjoy this conversation and get so much value from it. So I'm super excited to be here today with Christina Mandlachiani. Christina is a serial entrepreneur, international speaker and artist. Um, Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So nice to have you here. Um, There's so much that I want to chat to you about today because you have so much wisdom to share. But to kind of kick things off, I know that you are very good at helping people find their authentic self and happiness. Can you enlighten us a bit more on that and how you go about that? It's my journey that I share uh, that was something which brought me to understanding myself a little bit better last year. But I'm not quite sure if I do help people because I generally don't have the illusion that I have any influence on anyone. I believe we can only influence ourselves and then occasionally our experience can uh, give permission to other people to have the same experience. So that's how I see it. But as for my journey, maybe I will have to start from a little bit far. I was born in Soviet Union and I was a very good student at school. So in a way, like a Hermione in Harry Potter. (laughs) So I studied super well. And of course, in Soviet Union, we had the scenarios prescribed to us how to live happily. So you had to study well, go to a good university, get a degree, get a good job, get married, have two children, a boy and a girl, exactly everything that I did. I lived a fairly book life, like the life by the book, I would say. I was satisfied. I, I achieved whatever I was supposed to achieve, whatever people wanted you to achieve. And then last year, I turned 40 and I started realizing that sometimes I feel things or think things which are not considered appropriate or right, or I shouldn't be feeling or thinking this way. And I started digging into that and understood that uh, the facade of my life is just a facade for other people. But what's happening inside is a completely different story. And what I've created for myself is not necessarily what I really want, what my soul wants. And at 40, when I realized that the only place where, where I can afford myself to be to be myself, no matter what I feel, is bathroom. <laughs> when I close the door, nobody come, can come in and, and I'm by myself. And, and that was a huge, um, huge red flag for me that something is really off. If I cannot just afford being myself, even in front of the people that I love, my family. I started asking the uncomfortable questions. So if I feel something which is off, why does it feel like that? For example, uh, I would be introduced to people as uh, my husband's wife, Bishan's wife. And he's a very successful person, but I would always get ticked off and think, 
why do you say that? That's not everything about me. I'm so much more than just somebody's wife. It's not a complete story. And then I would feel, oh, but I shouldn't be thinking this way. He's super successful. Um, he's, uh, I, I should be proud. And digging these kind of things, I realized that there, is, there are parts of me or there are facets of me of my life which I have been neglecting or trying to bury, trying not to notice, trying to ignore, which are important. And when I started acknowledging these things, uh, my beautiful facade of life started crumbling into pieces. And I had to rediscover almost everything about myself, about my work, about my uh, personal life. A lot of things changed. And right now, one year later, I'm still not sure where I'm going. It's a little bit scary. But one thing I know for a fact that not having to pretend, not having to put up a good face and just being honest and true to what is important to you is such a huge relief that I don't care what will happen. That's my yeah. journey. And I just share it from stage and, and occasionally people come and say like, oh, I never, I never thought that I, it was okay to, you know, not to be right, not to be perfect. Yeah, I think that's hard, isn't it? Because society puts so many expectations on. But I think it's so, I mean, I think when you accept that, it creates so much personal freedom to just be you. So I think my discovery was that, yes, society tells us uh, what to do, but the limitations we put ourselves. I'm my first critic and uh, I'm the first person to say, oh, that's right or not right. You should feel this way. You should want this. You should, you should, you should, you should. I'm, I'm the first critic. So society doesn't really care so much. When things started changing about my life, mostly society took it okay. It was the closest people who cared, but they care about my happiness, not about my choices so much. And literally, it's, it's, it's my own choice, my own responsibility. Do I want to be honest with myself or not? It's much more comfortable to just play the game by everybody's rules, of course. But it's not everybody's pressure that keeps us from being honest with ourselves. It's usually the fear, the fear that what if the answer that I give myself is not something what I like? What if that means that I have to change things? But then that can also make you feel quite um, trapped. In terms of sort of giving yourself the freedom to accept yourself, what would you say were the most powerful kind of shifts that you used? Um, was it things like meditation, journaling, kind of you, you mentioned you were asking yourself questions. So <laughs> I know it's really common in super successful people like yourself that have had a lot of success to then find, well, actually, I don't know. This is all great. As you said, this is the facade, but then what's the real me? What do I want? How, how have you gone through that process to kind of really develop your authentic self more? You know, the interesting thing is that the success is also superficial because I change a lot of things about how I do my work, but the essence is still there. The business is still there. Uh, I'm just very different in my business. I present myself differently, and I believe that I've discovered myself in a new way. But the good things which are worth keeping will be there. We don't have to be afraid of that. What helped me? <laughs> I'm like any person, you know. They, they say that... Um, I don't know this saying in, in English, but in Russian, they have the saying that the, the, the shoemaker doesn't have, have the shoes, <laughs> the boots. So I, I probably had it the, the hard way, <laughs> the, okay. trying to discover everything myself, because it's, um, it's a little bit hard to look for help if, uh, if you're helping people. It's a little bit hard to ask 
for advice if you're very public because it's scary. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was just I was just reading books. I was just asking questions. I was just thinking. Uh, meditation helps you to get back to to the calm from time to time. It doesn't solve the problems as much. It's more you know, solving them. It's solving the the symptoms. Like if you feel stressed, of course, meditating helps as well as walking in the park helps or having a, a good time with your friends helps and and a lot of other things. So I, I did I did those things to to help me get along day by day. But uh, the most important thing is just uh, staying conscious. So understanding whether whenever things happen, trying to ask the question, what does it mean? And what is my choice in this current situation? Uh, so staying conscious and just not giving up, <laughs> taking one day at a time, I would say. Yeah, of course. And did you did you find yourself journaling quite a bit in that process? Would you physically answer those questions or were they more just in your own mind that you would sort of ask um, yourself mentally? I know journaling helps a lot. So psychologists really advise journaling. Uh, another form of journaling is sharing with someone. I do not journal personally, uh, but uh, I would definitely uh, suggest if, if people like it, writing down their uh, experiences, but not journaling as in, in traditional journaling, but in the way psychologists suggest, like just going through through our stories in our head, trying to make sense of things. Uh, I think my latest discovery is actually to stop trying to make sense of everything <laughs> and just to let go and trust the process. Kind of trust the universe almost. Yes, trust the, the, the flow of things and, and how the things will unfold. The thing with us perfectionists, and I'm not so much of a perfectionist right now, is that we're trying to solve all the problems ahead. And a lot of people who come to transformational personal growth, they think, now I'm going to learn everything, get my degree. Well, not direct degree, but let's say get all the wisdom, all the tools that I need, and solve all the problems into the future. Because we have this uh, funny... Um, myth in our head that you know uh, and li- they lived happily ever after it's a fairy tale ending but the truth in life is that you can never solve all your problems ahead because things will happen things that we are prepared for not prepared for it doesn't matter but they will keep happening and the problem with solving the problems ahead is that we do not leave space to just enjoy the process uh, I love Mark Twain saying I had 100 problems in my life and 99 of them never happened yeah. So I <laughs> I decided to stop trying to solve the problems ahead of time. I'm just taking one day at a time. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think the thing with problems, as you say, is some problems you solve one and then another one arises anyway. It's a little bit like questions. Asking one question just leads to another five or ten questions. It's I mean, you founded Mind Valley Russia and you're yes. a co-founder of Mind Valley, a super, super successful company in terms of making personal shifts and, and transformations in other people. And I have personal experience of the programs that you run. What are the daily habits that people can do? Because you can obviously take education, as you say, and you can take on mm. more information. You can kind of have the tools um, to learn it. But really, it's the practicing, I think, that helps to instill those habits what have you found and with your own clients and people that you help are most effective in making those shifts? Uh, well, I would say that 
this kind of knowledge requires a system in a big way because uh, a lot of the times I come across people who get overwhelmed. They try to get everything. They try to understand. They try to to solve things, uh, to become better, but it becomes overwhelming. And we have to give up this uh, uh, perfectionist notion of... Um, of doing it right, of uh, of becoming the best version of ourselves. We just have to, like Alan Watts says, you know, it's not the, the destination that matters, it's uh, the journey. So we have mm. to dance through the journey. So when it comes to personal growth, I think there are a few things which might help to navigate this whole massive field. Because when we talk about transformation and personal growth, you can talk about something very, uh, very um, difficult to explain, like... Um, like spiritual transformation, right? And connection to the to God or whatever you believe, or the source of energy. You can talk about something much more practical, like your transformation of health, like uh, nutrition, exercise, or, or something very mundane, like uh, relationships, parenting, uh, career. There are so many areas. It's a huge, vast field. But the principles which I think are important, uh, number one is that wisdom doesn't change anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, all of us know everything. We've heard all the ideas, all the wisdom nuggets, but they're not going to change anything in our life unless they transform into not so much wisdom as um, experiences. So there is difference between learning and, and transformation. Learning is getting the wisdom, getting the knowledge. Transformation is when you get an experience and through that experience, you see the world in a different way. And an example would be, everybody knows this idea, beautiful idea that happiness is inside you. You are the master of your own happiness. It's in this current moment. But just as an example, a few years ago, my child went into surgery. He had to be, he had to have his appendix removed. It was uh, two hours of wait. And I could repeat this mantra over and over again, that happiness is inside me. It's not going to help me in that moment. So only when you experience something, and you understand it almost on your cellular level, not so much in the, on the level of your mind. That's when the wisdom starts making difference in your life. So it was a year later, or maybe I don't remember exactly when, I was in a car and there was this song, popular song in a radio playing, and it had the words, everything is going to be okay. And suddenly I had a very strong physical feeling of being 18. So I was thrown back more than 20 years earlier. And I had this physical feeling of knowing that everything is going to be okay, no matter what, I have myself. And as long as I have my myself, my, my words, my attitude, everything is going to be okay. And that's when it clicked into place. Yes, happiness is inside me, but it is not necessary always every moment there. Sometimes you have to remind yourself that as long as you have yourself, everything is going to be okay, no matter what comes, comes your way. But that's the difference between knowledge on the level of your mind and actually experiencing it and uh, having the shift in the perception of your life and your world and, and getting this knowledge on the cellular level. So this is now an important thing. We should not go for knowledge as much as we should go for experience, which transforms us. And that experience happens in every day. So another important concept would be to remember is that we can try to change everything at once, but usually the most profound, lasting changes are not 180 degrees. Usually it's one, two degrees. And you change your trajectory for just 
a little bit. And over time, it takes you to a completely new place. And often when we try to put everything into it and change everything on the spot, we just get tired and get off the track. So that's another important thing. It's better to change little things, but keep to that. It's better to take transformation uh, in tiny doses, but so that it, it stays with you, that you will never get back to the same again. You know, you experience something and you never want the, the old experience anymore. And it might be a super tiny change, but it will express itself hugely over time. Because the thing is that if we look at our life, we think that our life comes consists of big decisions. But in reality, big decisions we take maybe a handful of times, a dozen of times over our life. You know, who we marry, where we live, what kind of job we do, do we have a family, things like that. Our life is actually made up made up of small everyday decisions and choices. That's why little changes in life can make way bigger impact over time than these huge things that we sometimes try to change. Sometimes trying to run away from, from the reality, we, we uh, change the, the country where we live or the job that we do, but in essence, nothing changes and we are still stuck with ourselves. It's like one of the teachers, Marissa Peer, she is a psychotherapist and she works with the most successful people in the world, Hollywood celebrities, like um, world-class athletes. And she says that it's surprising that it's when exactly when they reach the top, when they reach their goal, their wildest dreams, that's when they're left face-to-face with themselves mm. and with their demons and with their problems. And that's when they have nothing more to motivate them to go ahead. They have to face what they've been running away from. So the, the two concepts is... One is um, transformation versus learning. The other one, uh, better small changing changes, but something that will stay with you and profound. And the third big thing for me, and it is probably exactly feeding into these two principles, the most important habit that I've ever learned is the habit of just living a conscious life, just being conscious every single moment of your life. And it's something which you train over time and then you can't switch it off, unfortunately. Sometimes I'd really like to switch it off, but I can't. <laughs> but it's, you train it over time and it doesn't mean that you start living uh, perfectly. I still have my little vices. <laughs> I still do my little, uh, little things, which I know are not healthy for me or destructive, but I know what I'm doing. And when I allow myself to do that, I'm very conscious of what I'm doing right now. It's this consciousness that brought me to the point where I started noticing how I feel, how I think. When I started asking myself the question, why is it happening? Why do I feel this way? And through that conscious noticing and asking the question why and being honest with myself, that's how my transformation is happening. Because uh, when I'm honest with myself, when I notice something, I realized that I've, I've been closing my eyes to some truth. And then I open my eyes and I say, okay, I can't lie to myself anymore. This is what happens. And that brings you to transformation. And, and there is a shift in your perception and you can't leave the old way anymore. Yeah, that's that. Those are very powerful ways. I mean, I love that. Well, I love the fact how you um, translate that, that it is the experience that creates that transformation. But also that third point you were making about the consciousness. I think a lot of people are kind of almost going around living very unconsciously and life is kind of happening, just happening to them rather than for them. What techniques do you use specifically to kind of bring yourself? Is it a form of mindfulness and bringing yourself back to the present moment? 
or is it more the questions that you ask? How, how would you, how could somebody try and create that and live more on purpose and more consciously? So uh, my habit of consciousness, I started training it about uh, eight or nine years ago. So it's a long journey or maybe even 10 years ago. Uh, it was the result of one of the trainings that we did. We uh, actually set goals in all the areas of our life. So it was like four days, four days of digging, of, uh, of planning, of strategizing, making, uh, setting goals. And then at the end of this training, we had to pick one goal to focus on for the next 30 days. And for me, I realized that consciousness was that habit, that trait that I had to work on, because I realized that that would uh, impact almost everything in my life, from relationships to, to career, to, to my character, to my uh, health, everything, literally. So I started it then, and it's been a long process because there are layers and depths of being conscious. You can be conscious on a very superficial level, and you can become a little bit more honest with yourself and go deeper into that. So there are ways, but basically the simple things to do is to start doing things in a slightly different way, like uh, brush your teeth with a different hand. A lot of people suggest that. It's good for your brain. It's good for your neuroplasticity, for a lot of things. But it's also good for your consciousness because the moment you take your toothbrush in, in another hand, not the one that you usually use, you suddenly notice what is going on. You're suddenly in this current moment and you stop being on autopilot. And being on autopilot is actually not a bad thing because scientists can't come to a conclusion how many decisions we take per day, but they say it's anywhere from 3,000 to 70,000. It's a lot of decisions. So obviously, to and, and we tend to get decision fatigue. So sometimes when you have a very intense day with a lot of meetings, with a lot of decision-making, you know you're physically exhausted. So autopilot is not a bad thing in general, but it is bad if it governs everything in your life. And that's unfortunately what happens a lot of the times. Because I'm, I'm, uh, my message is not being completely honest all the time. You can wear masks, you can put on costumes, you can take on roles. It's fine. It all has its space as long as you remember what is inside there. Remember, and as long as you're true to what is inside there, and as long as you are willing to stand for what is inside you. But all the other rules of the game are absolutely fine. You can put on masks, take them off. You can be on autopilot as long as you remember to switch on the consciousness when it's necessary. So uh, one thing is do things uh, the way you've never done them. Uh, go to work a slightly different way. You know, if you take an elevator, take stairs for a change. And it doesn't mean that you have to live a healthy life. Just notice what's going on. Uh, bring your attention back to current moment every once in a while. Uh, another thing that I suggest that has helped me was to put an alarm. Every hour, my telephone would buzz, and that would be a reminder, consciousness reminder. So the moment my telephone buzzed, I was like, okay, I'm taking a consciousness break. And all you need to do is take something and look at it, bring your awareness back to the present moment. You can just look at the lines on your hand or or pick up an object and try to discover things that you've never noticed before. And these small things, it's, it's good enough. And then later you'll start bringing consciousness in the places where it really matters. It's your emotions, it's your relationships, it's your uh, interaction with the outside world, uh, standing for your values, standing for your truth. So these things will come in time, but you have to practice. And usually you have to give yourself uh, enough time to start practicing. Yeah, it takes time, I think, doesn't it, to, to make those shifts and for it actually then to become automatic. And there seems to be a lot of controversy over whether it takes, you know, 30 days, 66 days, whether it even takes years, really, to make these shifts. It takes a whole life. 
a whole life. <laughs> I, I, I want people to understand that <laughs> consciousness and honesty with yourself, I'm not talking about brutal honesty with the outside world. People don't need that. And actually we don't need it either. We only need to be honest with ourselves. These two things, it's like jumping out of the plane. You have all the stories in your head and you're so scared. But the moment you make the step outside the plane, that's it. You can't go back inside the door, inside the plane. You can't put your parachute back together and put it back in your backpack. You are flying and your only way is to land. So that's the same with it. You, it's not a switch that you can put on and off. The moment you're there, you're there. It's like, you know, my favorite analogy but transformation, that's how it works, is the hero's journey. And if you have seen the Hobbit movie, because it's a classical hero's journey, you yeah. reluctantly step out of the door and you reluctantly go on that path. But then you have to go through the cave and you have to see the dragon and you have to emerge on the other side because there's no turning back. Yeah. And the sad thing is that, not the sad thing, the scary thing is that once you're outside the cave, once you're on the other side of that journey, you're such a different person that even if you romantically would like to go back to the times before when everything was comfortable and, and beautiful, you can't because you're a different person. So that's, that's how transformation happens. The moment you're outside the door, you're there. You're on the journey and it's going to, to take you forever. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. That's why Alan Watts says, forget the destination, enjoy the dance, enjoy the journey. Mm. It's so, so true. I mean, what a lot of people I know like will want to make a shift um, and they kind of there's deliberate procrastination for a long time where they kind of almost know they want to make a change and obviously with consciousness as you say that is definitely something that's very different say for example to trying to get fit or take a program in a very specific area and I agree you know you learn that and you develop that over a lifetime but for people who are maybe scared of leaving that bit behind like you use that very powerful analogy there of taking that leap out of the aircraft what would you say to them maybe they want to but they're almost frightened of of leaving behind something was there you know I'll sometimes see it with clients who maybe are, are trapped maybe in a marriage or something and they almost can't they're not ready to let go of the past and create this new future because that in itself is a big and bold and brave thing right what would you say is helpful? Well, I would say that in every area of life, it's the same theory. Because the thing is that, and I'll go back to the, the complicated um, part of it. Because with health, with exercises, with nutrition, with, with career, with business, it's the same story. You cannot go and try it for a while. And I'll, I'll reach the goal and then I'll change. I'll get back to my old ways. That's not how it works. And no. that's why it doesn't work for a lot of people. If you're going into transformation, remember the plane analogy. You either jump off the plane or not. There is a funny Russian joke. You have to make a decision once and for all. Either you stop eating or you stop, stop weighing yourself. <laughs> and it's a joke, but it's true, you know. <laughs> so when it comes to the decisions, the thing is that often I just came from a trip from a from an event where I was teaching, and after the event, I had a lot of people come up to me and ask questions. And I realized I noticed one interesting thing because um, if you talk to people one on one, you 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 get to see deeper what's what's really holding in the back. And um, I do not know your, your audience probably doesn't know, but I recently divor uh, divorced uh, from my husband. I mean, we we separated. We did a conscious and cutting it's not a um, divorce in the traditional sense and I believe that 
I was feeling this um, change was going to happen. But I was afraid of that. Like everybody, you are afraid to jump off the plane. I remember my first skydive. I didn't plan anything for after the day of my skydive because I did not, somewhere deep inside, I did not believe I'll survive. Although statistically speaking, it's one of the safest things you can do. It's definitely safer than driving to the drop zone. But still, the fear is so paralyzing that you can't even imagine your life after that, that step out of the plane. But what I noticed talking to the people, the people who I feel might be standing in front of the same choice, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a divorce. It might be a choice to leave your, uh, your career, to you know, have the leap of faith into doing something which is important to you. Or, you know, there are so many areas uh, in relationships, in work, in, um, in love and parenting. We all face the choices from time to time. And we refuse to take them for a long time. We procrastinate. We, we go and we study and we try to find the guru to give us the answer. But the truth is that nobody can give you the answer. You're the only person to make your decision. There are no recipes in life. Nobody can tell you that this is, these are the markers. These are to-dos and these are to, not to-dos. These are the red flags. If you take the flags, you are good to go. You are good to divorce. Or if you don't take all the flags, you know, stay, stay and continue suffering. That's not how it works. There are no lists, checklists. It's your decision. And the, the scariest thing is that usually we know the answer. We know the answer. We're just scared to admit it. We know the answer that I have to go, or we know the answer that I have to stay, but I have to change. We know the answer. We're just too scared to admit it. That's why we keep on playing games of, I'll take another course. I'll go study a little more. It's not about that. It's about the leap of faith. It's about making this jump out of the airplane and yes. just flying. And the thing is that when I jumped, when I, wasn't, I didn't jump, I was pushed out of the airplane. And with the airplane, it's easy. They can push you out. With your life, nobody's going to take on this responsibility. And if, every, and if somebody comes and tells you, leave that job and start your business, I believe in you, you still take the decision yourself. But the thing what I want to say is that you cannot lose the things which are worth keeping you will never lose them and that's why I'm saying that we had a very different type of divorce because it is a scary thing for me still but I know that uh, despite having not having a husband right now I still have a very dear friend a very close friend a business partner and a father to my children the things which were worth keeping are there mm. but the things which stopped working you sometimes have to take the decision to change them and the thing is that you can do it on your own terms. You don't have to follow everybody's rules. You don't have to, maybe you don't have to leave the job you don't like to do the things that you love. Maybe there are other ways, but you have to take a decision and make a commitment to do something which is important. And then everything else will fall into place eventually. That's something actually that when I have looked at what you've created with Mind Valley um, and read um, Vision's book, this concept of escaping the culture scape where people think mm. that their decisions need to be made between very specific defined parameters that are almost there by society. And I, I love the way both of you um, embody this principle of actually, no, there is another way, but it's also kind of, you touched a little bit there as well. You referenced Marissa Peer, And I think one of the things that she she says that always resonates with me and I remind myself of when I'm kind of struggling is I am enough. 
And people don't mm. say that to themselves enough, right? Because as you say, at the end of the day, it is just you. No one's coming. No one's going to show you the way or, or force you to do something. It comes from you. But having that inner sense of confidence that you are enough and we all are enough, right? The conclusion you will come to if you dare to be honest with yourself. And I keep saying that because a lot of people, whenever I talk about that, they say, oh, no, I'm honest with myself. But that's the thing about delusion. We're not aware of our own delusion. That's the thing. Usually, if you start noticing uh, what you think, what you feel, how you talk to yourself, and if you're truly honest, you, whenever you, let's say, you fail and you say, oh, my God, I'm a failure, is that being honest with yourself or you're just being hard on yourself? If you're honest, you say, yeah, I didn't do it that well, but that does not mean I'm a failure. But that comes with practice. We think that we'll be harsh on ourselves, but that's not true. Honesty actually brings you to the point where you're like, you, you, at some point you just accept yourself what you are. I have always had um, an interesting relationship with, you, you touched upon that before we started talking, about femininity and being in the masculine world. And I almost deliberately like to push people uh, with being as much myself as I can. And if that means being a little girl on stage and talking about serious things, I will do that because I want to stay true to myself. And I notice that who, who is the biggest critic? Who is the person who says, no, you can't do that. No, you have to do it the other way. Oh, people will not take you seriously. That's irrelevant. The only thing that matters is do you accept yourself? For me, accepting the fact that I have this very strong feminine side and it is important to me. And yes, I'm flirty. And occasionally you might think it's inappropriate in that particular case, but this is me and I cannot change myself. For me, accepting the fact that this is how I operate and even if men or women don't accept that and they say like, oh, you can't be such a girl in this environment, that's your opinion. That's not how I feel. I'm not going to change myself. The moment when I allow myself to just say, I am also that, not just a businesswoman, not just a mother, not just a responsible grown-up, but also a little girl, and it is important to me to stay true to that, then it was not a problem to accept myself and tell myself, it's okay. This way, I'm also okay. But it was accepting me what gave me that permission to allow myself to feel enough. Oh, I love that. I love that. And that's actually something that I think people definitely neglect is there is that little girl inside you or little boy in someone that's always going to be there, right? And we all always screw up in some ways, but it's accepting and, and it's more important the learning that comes from it, I think. And you, you were talking about that, which is so important, is that life teaches you and it's the experience because it's the experience that makes the transformation, isn't it? You could take as many courses as you want, but they won't lead anywhere unless you have that experience and then leave that, that part of yourself and grow. And you know what's ironical is that we always have experiences. It's just that we don't notice them. A very simple example. <laughs> I, uh, my phone broke, my iPhone broke. I had been on iPhone for 10 years and I had to switch to uh, Android, to Google for a short while. It was a few weeks and um, it was an interesting transition. And then suddenly I discovered uh, a lot of things about life. It was a simple thing that happened, a simple practical thing that happens in people's lives. Breaking a phone, using something you're not used to. I was grudgingly going into this new world. And then when I give in and accepted it, 
and allowed myself to just just live with that, I discovered a lot of beautiful things. And along the way, I realized things about myself. We get life experiences on every single step. It's just up to you to notice them and not notice them, to try to see deeper into what is going on. Why am I reluctant to do that? What does it mean? What does it say? And then using it as a practice. You know, I've heard this beautiful uh, thing by Harbacher that, um, you know, your success is proportionate to your comfort zone. Now, every time I do something I dislike, I tell myself it's investment into my success. I'm scared of dentists. I go to a dentist and how I force myself into the dentist chair is I tell myself this is investment into my success. Seemingly, I'm just fixing my teeth, but I, I remind myself I'm doing something uncomfortable. That means that I'm going to, my comfort zone is stretching. I'll be more successful. So we have these opportunities on every single step of our life. When we switch on the consciousness, that's when we start noticing them. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And it's all too easy to stay within the comfort zone because it's, as you say, at the boundaries where we grow and constantly stretching and pushing them. I know that um, you have created a number of successful businesses but you've also had um, a journey you know initially I think you started a company with a a friend which you then took on yourself and has now become Mind Valley Russia and you um, have 10 things 10 mistakes that an entrepreneur can make are you able to sort of share those with us uh, in terms of things people might avoid it I'm not sure if I remember all 10 by heart, but I'll, I'll, I'll share them uh, gradually. Uh, we might not even have time for all the 10. So basically the background is that um, a few years into Mind Valley, we made a little offshoot of the company, taking uh, some of the best products to the Russian market. Uh, and I was doing it with a friend and we did it for about six years. Uh, we worked in Russia, Ukraine and Kazakhstan And um, it just coincided so that in 2014, a lot of things started happening. Russia and Ukraine went into war. Both countries went through a really severe economic crisis. We were very complacent with my business partner. We we were wonder children. You know, our business was a success in a very short period of time. Considering we were both first-timers in business, we we, uh, made... um, our business is success really quickly. So, of course, we started living a glamorous life of, of successful business um, owners. Uh, and um, it just coincided so that one of our biggest uh, partners uh, left, and that uh, comprised 80% of my Russian business. And also, uh, we didn't see eye to eye with my business partner. That that was a little longest story. It, was, it took about three years from starting to deteriorate to, to parting ways with my business partner. So essentially 2015 uh, started with um, literally almost bankruptcy. We switched off advertising. I, I, had, I had the honorable job of firing half of our staff. We lost uh, a business partner who, who brought in 80% of our business. I decided that I cannot go on with that former friend of mine and the economies of our two biggest markets were still in a really low, like very low. So how it started was that uh, I realized that we are very quickly moving towards bankruptcy and things had to change. And <laughs> what can you do if things had to change? I took on, I, I took out the book, Hardback's um, book about millionaire mindset. It's yeah. essentially a book about 16 ways how rich and poor yeah. 
people think differently. And I really find Habeck an incredibly uh, enlightened person. Almost everything he says about money, you can replace money with love, with relationships, with happiness, and it will still stay true. It's like his wisdoms are absolutely profound. So as I read the book, I realized that the mentality that we live in between me and my business partner, the difference was huge. So while she was okay to struggle to survive, I thought I'd rather go into bankruptcy with a smile on my face. And that was a huge difference. Mm. She was trying to survive. I didn't mind to lose everything, but keep my sanity. That was a huge difference. So uh, we parted ways. It was a really hard decision for me. And then after that, that's when I started analyzing what we did wrong. So I think the lesson number one that I learned is that there are two different mentalities in business. Uh, one mentality, and I'm talking about mentality, not the makeup of the business, not the way your business is built, but the mentality of an entrepreneur. So mentality, which works for me, is the mentality of, of an investor entrepreneur. So whatever you do, you look long-term. Mm-hmm. The mentality that doesn't work for me, I call it, it's um, not the makeup of the business, it's mentality. I call it freelancer mentality, where you need instant gratification. So the difference is then patience. Instant gratification versus long-term benefit. So if you, you have mentality of um, freelancer, you want to get your money straight away. You invest, you want to get it straight away. So you want your time to be paid investor doesn't care about your time that you put into business to be paid. Investor cares about the profitability of the business. And then let's say at the end of the year, uh, the freelancer mentality will take out the dividends. Investor mentality will put the dividends back into business. Mm. So that's, that's a big difference. And that difference translates into every decision in your business. You have to have a little bit of a freelance mentality as well, a little bit, because you have to really pay your time. You Like sometimes the investor mentality will take you into another extreme where you put everything into business and you forget about your own line. Yeah. But essentially, I'm functioning, and vision has always functioned this way, and that's where I learned it, is the mentality of an investor. You are creating a business. If you have the mentality of a freelancer, you're creating your lifestyle that reflects your success in business. And that's a huge difference. So that that was my lesson number one. And I have a lot of lessons. If you want, I can go into other lessons. Should we do the kind of top three or five then that, um, yeah, that you... Okay. Because that that one in itself is very useful. I I have a a little question on that one, because I think, what would you say to Mm -hmm. people who are starting up a company? Yeah. So in the beginning, that's quite hard because they need the cash flow to come in and they may well be reinvesting it, but they also need to live. And it's 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 shifting that mindset, isn't it? Because otherwise you really are just paid as a I'll, consultant or, you know, you're kind of almost like an employee. I might shock you with my answer. <laughs> yeah, I have a slightly more palatable answer for later, but I believe that most people who will be listening to this mm-hmm. uh, live in... Uh, a fairly developed world, mm-hmm. uh, either in uh, the West, Europe, US, uh, maybe in Australia, maybe in Asia like me, maybe in Russia like a lot of uh, my audience, Ukraine. And I come from the Soviet Union. I can tell you this. In the 21st century, most of us will not end up on the street hungry no. in our part of the world. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we are forgetting that. 
We're so scared. That's something that um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of authors who write about minding mindset uh, are talking about is that we have this, this paradox. The more we earn, the more we have debts because our ability to get comfortable and to start living better life grows with our ability to earn. And then we are paralyzing ourselves. We are in this golden cage that we have built for ourselves where we uh, are afraid to take on risks because we think that we'll lose something profound, but we won't. We'll have our life, we'll have our, we'll have somewhere to live and we'll have something to eat, most of us, even those who have children. Of course, if we have, if we have taken on get debts that will make things a little bit more complicated but for the young people who are starting business there's nothing to be afraid of me and vision after we started uh, mind valley at some point came back to malaysia and we lived in his parents house it might have been a little bit humiliating but it's not going to kill you yeah. you can you can afford to take risks yes it's, ridiculous to think that you can't but let's say if you do have responsibilities and debts from before don't give up your work take on some employment, find ways to, to pay the bills, uh, make arrangements within your family, you know, ask your spouse to, to, to be the support for a short while. I, I know it is scary. It might take you a few years before you start earning within your business, but, but we all can afford taking risks and we all can afford putting some time into, into doing what is important to us. Yeah, no, I agree. I absolutely agree with that. And I think, um, it's that mental shift that people, but I think that is, as you say, the big difference between an investor entrepreneur um, and somebody who is just maybe self-employed or a business person who's looking for that direct um, gratification. You've got to build it over the long term. What would you say are the other kind of two or three things that people often make mistakes in and, and that they could avoid? So one of them uh, is more of a recent lesson, and I guess I learned it um, over the past few years. Uh, you asked me how I manage everything in my life, and that was an accidental shift first in my household. <laughs> I, I, I live in Asia, and that's kind of com uh, common here, but now, now I, I do the same in Europe, in my household in Europe as well. I have four people who work for me in, in my house. I have a lady who cleans. I have a lady who does groceries and cooks. I have a, a woman who takes care of my children and a driver. I don't do anything at all. And I realized that this is the only place where I can buy myself time. And I know that my advice might seem obnoxious for a lot of people, but the truth is that a lot of the times you can buy time by not doing things that somebody else can do. Mm. And I learned it at home first by accident because I came into this environment where this was comfortable, but I started getting more and more help because I realized that it works for me. So, for example, I am absolutely incredible at cleaning apartments, truly. I've cleaned my parents' apartment for 25 years, nonstop, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I lived with my parents until I was 25. <laughs> my mom still rem remembers my first attempt where I took the white towel and, and washed the floor. But I'm amazing at cleaning <laughs> nice. apartments. I can do it way better than my maid, but I will never do that. Because my time is much more valuable. Yeah. Uh, over the past few years, I translated that into my business. And while a lot of people in business can understand that logic at home, but they are so scared to bring it into business. So when I uh, divorced my business partner and <laughs> survived near bankruptcy 
for a few years, I was struggling with my business. First, I was very elated and very excited. And then after two years of my revenues not going very much high uh, up, I started doubting myself as an entrepreneur. I thought maybe I'm not so good after all. Maybe it was a one-off success. You know, sometimes you're very successful in one business and then you try other businesses and you just fail and you don't know what's happening. And then I had this feeling for a few years, but then I decided that maybe I should trust my team a bit more. And somehow I got the courage to stop doing things which I don't like doing. I'm not a very good manager. I can do that as a perfectionist, as a former Hermione in school, I can do that. I can force myself to do anything, the way I can clean apartment the best. I can do marketing really well, and I have talent in that. I can manage people really well. I don't like it, but I can do that if I have to. I can do management, but I don't enjoy that. So I find a person to do the things that I don't enjoy, but I can do well, but I don't enjoy. And I let them fly with that. And I have a very weird style. I don't uh, micromanage. I let people, I, <laughs> in a way, cruel style. I, I drop them in the water and I let them learn to swim. <laughs> and I support them, but I support them morally. <laughs> and occasionally when they need to take a hard decision, but they have to figure it out. And that's the people I work with the best. By now I have three crucial people in my business. Uh, who do almost everything that I don't like to do. And what I discovered recently is that I'm only going to do in business what only I can do. Mm. What I can do the best but someone else can do, I will not do that. So the things that I do is I do interviews, I record videos and programs, I, I talk on stage, I write articles, and that's the only thing I do. I don't run meetings, I don't do management ad, uh, administration, I don't do marketing, and I'm a good marketer. I was one of the best in, in email marketing years ago. I don't write emails anymore. I, I can if I have to, but I don't. And I applied the same thing that works in my house. I applied it in business. It freed up a lot of space and a lot of time. And my logic is that I don't plan my days fully. I always leave 30 to 40% of my time completely unplanned. And if I'm in the office and I have nothing to do, believe it or not, I have times when I'm in the office and have nothing to do. I have a whole bunch of books I read. I can still stay in the office and wait for the meeting and not just read the book or read something on internet or listen to a TED talk. I enjoy myself. The thing is that entrepreneurship is a creative process. Mm. And if an entrepreneur puts themselves in a hamster's wheel and doesn't leave space for themselves, they cannot create. As you said, I'm an artist. How does creative process work? Mm. You walk, like, how do I pack my bags? Half a day, I moan. I walk around the apartment moaning how I hate packing my bags and then I get the inspiration and I pack them in half an hour. That's how creative process works. You yeah. walk around, you don't know what to do, you create space and then when it comes, it comes. It comes in a, in a gush and you can't stop it. And it happens so quickly and you're like, why did I have to suffer for the whole day to create this thing? And that's why I leave this creative space. So I have a theory for that. For that. And that theory is another two regimes. It's not mentalities, but there are two regimes in which we can uh, exist. Regime number one is a hustler. And that's something which has been romanticized in the contemporary world. Hustle, mm. hustle, hustle. When I lived in New York, everybody was telling me I work 80-hour work weeks. I work 24-7. And people felt pride in that. We feel proud that we hustle. 
And then there's another regime. And as a hustler, the problem with that is that hustling works through the resistance. If you don't have resistance, you don't feel that you're hustling. Mm. It's like going to the gym. You go to the gym, you put on weight because if your muscles don't hurt, you've wasted your time in the gym. The same with hustling. If you don't feel that you've put sweat and blood into what you're doing, you do not deserve success. We've been told that from school. Mm. You have to put sweat and blood. If you don't put sweat and blood, if you don't break the brick wall with your head, straight on, you don't deserve success. We truly believe we don't deserve success. Yeah. And I know people who feel who feel guilty for not having something to do, who feel guilty if they have space in their agenda. Another regime is called surfer. And I'm a surfer by nature. And if you've seen surfers, it's a little dot in the middle of the sea and it looks like nothing is going on. You're just trying to stay on the surface. But what the surfer does, the surfer is waiting for the, for the wave. When the wave comes, the surfer jumps on the board and the wave takes the surfer with huge speed and a lot of fun onto the shore. Mm-hmm. So I'm the surfer. As a business person, as a creative person, you have to leave space for surfing. Yes, hustling has space, has time. I just came from a very intense business trip where I was hustling. There's no question about that. We all do that from time to time, but it cannot be your default regime because if that's your default regime, you're in a hamster's wheel, you have no space to create, you will never grow exponentially. That's incredibly true. And um, I think people underestimate it. The creative side of entrepreneurship is so, so important. And I think if you don't give yourself the space, as you say, people tend to think that they'll leave employment and create a business, but actually they're just an employee rather than an entrepreneur creating that life that they want. Yes. Um, Yeah. And I think as soon as they can, as you say, you're effectively outsourcing the kind of 10 pound jobs because you're valuing. It comes back to your self-worth as well and valuing what you do as higher. Um, Just as an example, because people are so overestimating the, how easy it is to outsource. I've had another business which, has, which I just started, and I was outsourcing everything. I don't do anything in the business unless I have to do that. So I have a project manager. I have people who, who code, who design, who, who write the copy. If you just find freelancers who do it hourly, and I, I pay hourly rates, which are absolutely top-notch, really, to the top specialists. In half a year, starting putting the take, getting the business off the ground, I barely spent fifty thousand euros in, in more than half a year. It was eight nine months. It's not such a huge investment. We sometimes overestimate. Don't hire a person. Go for freelancers. Mm. Hire just one person. Hire an assistant who will do all the all the administration for you. I don't buy tickets ever. I have a, a travel agent who buys tickets. I only pay a, a flat fee. It's not terribly expensive per ticket. You don't have to hire a whole lot of people. You can outsource hourly rates. There are so many ways. Mm, yeah, so true. Um, I remember that the most powerful shift for me was when I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and he talks exactly um, of that. What do you use for your outsourcing with freelancers? Do you have ones that you well, regularly use? I, I'm not very good at that because obviously I don't do <laughs> management yeah. administration. If someone does that so. Um, Yes. Yeah. So having been in business for 16 years, a lot of people who have been through Mind Valley, I still use their resource. So people who have left, who are freelancing, I usually 
usually go back to them. Mm-hmm. I have a very interesting way. I love to work with people with whom I love to work. So I'll try a lot of people. And over time, it's like uh, washing gold through the mud. Over time, I've discovered golden nuggets and I will go for any terms with them because I want to work with the people that I love and that I can trust. So I have a handful of people that I really trust and they do all the other things. They do outsourcing. But I, I understand that right now I'm talking from the point of a person who has been in business for 16 years who have been through thousands of employees. Of course, I get that right now. But it starts somewhere, you know. Even, for example, at my home, I've been hiring nannies for years. The first nannies, it was it was risk. I was gambling. But right now, some of my former nannies are helping me to interview my new nannies, you know. Some of my former nannies sometimes can come in when, when I don't have anyone to help and, and make a trip with us. And you build it little by little. Initially, it's it's faith, it's trust, but over time, you, you'll gather that. It's like I said, it's not that you do all the homework and then it's smooth riding. It's lifelong journey. If you're willing to step on that path, step on it and, and brace for the rest of your life. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It is um, fun. And what are the, what would you say are the non-negotiables that you have? So we've already spoken of one there, that you don't do anything that you're not a competent very competent in but also very passionate in and I think that's that's a really yeah. powerful way to guide a choice a decision on where you should spend your time and you free your mind up for creativity do you have any daily routines and habits sort of health wise and mindset wise that you practice one thing uh, to add to that that I only do what I'm passionate about I only do something what I love mm-hmm. and this is something I learned from Neil Donald Walsh recently I try to avoid situations where I I do not enjoy myself just for the sake of being polite. I may occasionally, like I, I started saying no more frequently and, and filtering because I understand that I only have one life and I do not want to waste it on things that I don't enjoy and situations that I don't enjoy. I have uh, become more critical about who I want to spend my time with, uh, more selective about my friends. So these are no negotiables. For me, I don't care about routine so much. I'm very person in the flow. So I love going to the office because routine makes me more disciplined. But I also love sometimes to wake up and and decide, okay, I'm, I'm, um, I'm okay to stay and do something else. So today in Malaysia, we have this haze problem, uh, similar to Amazonian rainforest. Indonesian rainforest is also burning and we have incredible haze in Kuala Lumpur. So the school got closed today because it's hazardous outside. We can't step outside. So uh, I got the message at six o'clock in the morning that the school was closed. So I don't get stressed about that. I'm just checking what kind of meetings I have. And if there's anything that I have to be present in the office today, fortunately, everything could be done online. So with a huge joy, I just stayed at home with kids. I love the freedom to to choose my life. I love the fact that I don't have routine. What are the non-negotiables about my day? I like to sleep in and I need my rest. I love to wake up without alarm clock. It doesn't happen often because kids need to go to school and I have to take them to their school bus. I love to have my time with kids. Um, I love my morning kids pile. It's when I sneak into their bed and, and pile them all up on me. <laughs> it's only a few minutes, but it's important for me. <laughs> <laughs> so children is a is a very important part for me and I love to just be with them. Unproductive, not very pedagogically wise, but just to, to hang out with them. Meditation is important, but I'm a little bit um, 
not structured with meditation because for me, uh, I try to look into the essence of the things. Meditation essentially consists of two things. It's a physical, deep physical relaxation and focus of your attention on something. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like to sleep in and that's why I like consciousness because my whole life is one huge meditation. <laughs> yeah. But I do meditate uh, structurally as well as in sit down and, and meditate for five minutes or 10 minutes. I do that as well. But I am not too stuck to that because I'm trying to live my life with these two things, relaxing physically and having things to do so that, that they relax me, like, you know, taking off the heels. People know me. I, I love to walk on heels on stage, but people have been laughing at me taking off my shoes on stage <laughs> regularly because I need, I need my physical comfort. It's important for me. And consciousness, constant consciousness is focusing your attention on things that's important. I like to walk in Estonia. I walk a lot in the nature. I love fresh air. I like to to listen to my body and uh, to be physically active when my body says so, to eat when my body says so. I don't follow rules very easily. So uh, routines and and protocols don't work very well with me. I would go into the shower telling myself, I don't want cold shower and then suddenly switch it on and stay there longer than I wanted because I suddenly feel like it. So I believe into listening into your body and trusting it. I trusted my incredibly like people say don't trust your body when you're hungry you'll go and you'll eat a cookie or a chocolate i trust my body when i'm hungry i cannot eat anything except proper food Mm. so these are the little things that are non-negotiable but i have very few routines and uh protocols i have my traditions (laughs) some of them are very maybe questionable for my audience like my tradition i have a tradition of having a glass of champagne at takeoff for the flight to be successful (laughs) and my tradition of having children's file in the morning (laughs) and reading Harry Potter in the evening. These are important. I love traditions, but I don't like uh, boundaries and and rules. I guess that's where I'd like to close actually is because my time with my kids is super special and that whole like bundling and bend, just spending that time with them. You're never going to get it back. That connection's amazing and they grow so fast. I know that you take your kids on trips to the Amazon jungles, you do things with them. And I'm guessing that you, um, yourself, ambition in the way that you're parenting them outside of the culture scape, you've indicated they do go to, ch- go to school. But how are you raising your children in this, in this world mm. and equipping them? What's, what's kind of important for you guys in the way that you do that so that you can equip them for life? Mm-hmm. You know, it's another very deep topic, but I'll I'll try to answer as quickly as possible. I have a few rules. First of all, I do trust uh, official school with academic um, knowledge. Sometimes we think that we have to make either or choices with everything in life. You know, (laughs) either either you work or you have your business. Either you're married or no, you're completely single and you have, you're friendless and lonely, <laughs> which is not my case, right? Okay. Um, either you are parents or you have a career. And I don't believe in either of choices. So the same uh, is with school. I understand the huge, uh, the huge controversy about official school right now, or, or let's say government school or, or traditional school. Where I come from, Estonia, 
the schools are good. The schooling system is good. Here in Malaysia, we send them to private school, but still it is a school. It's a formal school with a formal education, with a formal diploma at the end of it. I love our school and I completely trust it with academic knowledge because mm -hmm. academic knowledge requires proper approach. There is such a thing as degree in education. It's not by accident. I hire nannies and I require my nannies to have a degree in education because there is space for academic teaching, mm -hmm. which I will not never be able to do because I do not have the knowledge. I do not have the experience. I had a nanny who I st I'm still super close friends with her. She's helped me a lot. She is one of the best English teachers in Estonia. And she came and she was just a nanny with our children. But through this experience, I realized what an important thing it is to have someone who understands that professionally. The same way, if you have problems with, with your personal life, the best advice I can give is go to psychotherapists because there are professionals. I read a lot of psychology. I love psychology. I'm very interested in that, but I can never give advice in that field. Whenever I have an issue with my kids, I always look for professional advice. When my child was uh, doing too much iPad, I researched the question. I asked the psychologist, what are the best ways to do? There are so many answers to that. So that's that's on the professional side of, uh, of teaching. Then there is another thing which school will never teach and should not teach. It's uh, our worldview. It's our values. It's the characteristics that we want our children to have. It's how the children are going to live life. What are they going to learn? Are they going to learn with like a rigid set of rules and, and beliefs? Or are they going to learn to be critical, to be curious, to try to figure out their own rules? Are they going to be brave and courageous? Or are they going to be disciplined? I have a friend, and she's one of our authors and teachers, Shelly Lefko, and she says, whenever I see a disciplined kid, I know there's a trauma behind it, <laughs> which is an interesting yeah. thing, right? So that we have to give them boundaries because mm -hmm. they have to, the other day I had to take my child off the roof of a two-story building and I was scared and wow. I had to put the boundaries yeah. because there is space for both. There is no either or in this life. There is no go this way or that way. You know, hustler or surfer, investor or uh, freelancer, academic or homeschooling. You always have to find the balance. And that's the beauty of life. So uh, the values, the, the worldview is something that we give, me and Vision. We are both parents. So here I have two life hacks. Life hack number one is that I invite my children into my work. Because I want us to be more than just housemates, not more than just flatmates. I invite them to my work the same way he, uh, my kids' school invites me to school. So it is important that they take part in their school because that's their work. And it is important that they get to come to my office. They get to spend time at my events because they have to see what we are doing. They have to see us not just as going off to the office. They have to have an idea what's happening there. It's not a black box. It's the whole universe, and I want them to be part of that and to understand what it is. So I invite them into my work by bringing them to the office, sometimes inviting them to my events. So they share my work, and I share their school. This is one principle. And another principle is that we want them to learn life through seeing it. And traveling is a very important source. We can afford that, which is good. But if you can't afford, you can show kids a lot of other things. I used to work with refugees. I took... I took my kids to, to do 
workshops with refugees to see another side. It was partially to see what I do outside my house, partially to see life. So whenever we, we have opportunities to go see another side of life, which they are not naturally exposed to, we'll do that. And sometimes, of course, I, I'll, I'll limit my choices. Like I, I wouldn't necessarily take my children to to hospitals and to, to rehabilitation centers. But if it happens, I will do that. We took our children to, to Necker Island, for example. Uh, actually, Hayden, Eve was not born there. And I was sitting at dinner with Branson, Richard Branson, and we were chatting at dinner. And I had this weird feeling of, oh, I'm a bad mom. So I shared it with Richard. I said, I can't believe I'm chatting at dinner with you here while my child is on the cushions, falling asleep somewhere between the guests. And he said, you know, Christina, don't feel bad. When my kids were small, I was taking them everywhere with me. I would have a meeting at the table and my children are falling asleep under the table. And I realized that a lot of, a lot of super successful people in my environment, and Richard is not a, a, the only person, of course, not the only example. They do that. They take their children with them. So that's actually more to support the previous point. So we travel scientifically. <laughs> For us, travel is an important thing. We look at the map. We want to see where the children haven't been, where we have the white spaces. So Hayden, he's 12. He's been to all the continents. We took them to Antarctica, finally. The thing is that we sometimes don't realize what a huge learning opportunity it is. When we went to Antarctica, there was so much to learn about ecology, about how human action actually impacts the world. The whole journey through the Drake, the Strait of Drake, for two days when you see nothing and then suddenly this magnificent continent shows up. It feels like you're going to a different planet. It's such an experience. You cannot convey it in any other way. We took our children to Africa to the safari to see the animals and I was shocked when we went to Serengeti and there were millions of animals. We were following the, the migration of wildebeests and I suddenly saw the carcasses of wildebeests and zebras and, and lions coming and eating them and, and, the, and the birds and I was shocked. It was so shocking for me coming from the, from the city and I didn't know how to show it to the, to the kids. But then I realized this is how they learn life the way it is. And it is shocking because I'm just so gentle, but it is what it is. And it was an incredible experience. My kids both loved it. They were not shocked. I was shocked. They were not. They learned how to, how to interact with wildlife, how to respect it, how wildlife has been disappearing from the face of the earth. They learned things that sometimes feel counterintuitive, but believe it or not, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably right now anger a lot of uh, people, but we learned, we were there in the, uh, in the parks that preserve wildlife, that actually uh, structured hunting helps to save the wildlife. It's scary to understand, but these, this knowledge you learn when you get there, but for the same reason I took them to the Amazon, because a lot of things that we think from the outside, you know, the, the, the forests were, the, the, were burning and people were, were getting nuts. But the thing is that you have to go there and see what it is inside to see what really helps and what is just a buzz mm -hmm. to understand how it really functions. So I took my both kids to the Amazon. And both of them were super young. Hayden was four when I took him there. Eve was five. They're still the youngest tourists. And people ask me, why do you do that? They won't even remember. The truth is that they do remember, partially thanks to stories, partially thanks to videos and pictures. But the, the thing is that our character forms by the age of five. And yes, you might wait with your children until they're five and they, or maybe seven or eight when they can tell the stories and, and have their memories. 
but they will have the true profound impact on their personality, on the way they see the world, on the way they understand this world, if they go there so early that they might not even remember that they, but it will stay with them. So I took them both there and they had the most amazing experience. My child was playing with the little, Hayden was playing with the little kids. They had no choice. They were playing with, uh, with, with little chicks and with flies and, and it was funny. They were always trying to eat the flies, eating off the ground. Uh, my daughter was uh, incredibly lucky because we, we had such an opportunity to go uh, fishing with the community, something that none of the tourists have ever experienced before us. And she was uh, half in torture and <laughs> because it was an intense experience, but she got to, to babysit the little babies who, who were also brought to that experience because that's how they do in the Amazon. They, the whole family takes off and then does the, does the thing together. And these things, you can, never, you can never learn it anywhere except by traveling. So, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. And it does, as you say, it informs their... their their personality, even if they don't directly remember it. And it's such a lovely thing to do with them, to travel and see the world and inform. And it's giving them that that extra kind of rich dimension on life, right, of, of this is how people live across the world. Most, you know, many children aren't fortunate enough to, to experience it and, you know, amazing for them. I really, really value your time um, and I want to thank you for coming on. Before we close, what would you say is your your mantra or your ethos for life that guides you? <laughs> I have different, for, for every st- stage of my life, there's a new, a new thing that needs to be reminded. My uh, oldest is life is too important to be taken seriously. <laughs> it's Oscar Wilde, it's not me. <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> that allows you to sometimes take a lot of things easier, take failures easier, take, take the hard times easier because, you know, it's, that's how life is. I love this idea. Maybe I'll leave with that because there are a lot of things I could share which are important, but life is too important to be taken seriously. And I think we have to make peace with all aspects of it. I love what Ken Wilber says, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't know the quote by heart, but he says, we have this interesting thing that we are trying, we are drawn towards light, towards good, towards everything that we call this way, you know, light, good, positive. But if we remember that everything comes from the same source, whether whatever you believe, whether it's God or, or I don't know, Big Bang or source mm-hmm. of energy, everything comes from that. And why, why do we demonize the dark side, the, the weaknesses, the painful experiences, you know? So I'm a little bit of an advocate for that, as in let's make peace for that and let's just try to see beauty and, and enjoy the whole process, whatever it brings us, because life is too important to be taken seriously. I love that. I love that. And we'll thank you so much. Now, where where can people find out? Obviously, we know that you're co-founder of Mind Valley, but if people want to find out more about you, engage in your work um, a bit more, where can they find you? I think the most um, reliable source would be my Instagram account, which is Christina okay. Mund. And my, my my name is written through K. Yeah, yeah. Christina with a K Mund. And I do have two programs which are with me as an author but generally i would uh, i would uh, announce everything from my instagram account so now that's probably the 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 surest way yeah okay i will link to that um in the show notes what's the what are the two programs that i can link to these are on personal transformation yes uh one of them is a 
Nequest, we do quests. Quests are not programs. They're slightly different than programs, as in uh, they usually take a little longer and we give information in small doses and we stack up ideas because what we want is transformation, not the knowledge, but the transformation. So we're, we we do quests in a way that they give you an experience rather than just, just the knowledge. So one of them is the mini quest. It's a short quest. It's seven days to happiness where I talk about practices, actual practices and tools, how to learn to be happy because happiness is a habit. It's not a goal, obviously. And you might already guess that it's not about positive psychology and putting on the rose-tinted glasses. I'm going to talk about the unpleasant and the pain <laughs> and dealing with that, obviously. Yeah. Um, and another program is more of a derivative from that one is live by your own rules. And it's a more profound quest, so it takes longer. And that's uh, the topic that we started with, how to how to start coming to terms with yourself, who you truly are. So we, we are going to look into being conscious, into, into noticing yourself, into being honest with yourself, and then finally accepting. And then I go into, you know, looking at your life. And in the end, the last portion of the program, I'll give practical tools as to how to start changing your life. Because, you know, when you change, everything starts changing and how to do it. Uh, I'll give the tools that will help to do it with as little pain and discomfort to the outside world and yourself as possible. I love that that element of the quests that you do is that there are specific days for practice. As you say, they build over time mm. and it is about making that transformation. And that's something you do very well. And this sense of community. Can people go straight to the second one or do they need to do the seven day um, quest first? Oh, they can, they can go straight to the second one. Yes. They're separate programs. I just feel that if you do the first one, you will want to do the second one. The second one will cover as much as possible because uh, I go deep enough. So literally almost everything that is in the first one, you you would probably get in the second one. Okay, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's on your own website, Christina? Yes, it will be on my website. They have two separate pages. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will link to all of that and Thank your you so Instagram much. account. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.